Hello and welcome back to Black Exposure Podcast, formerly with that said. If you've been here for a while, then you know I originally started my podcast because I was looking for a way to change my situation in corporate America. I was tired of being robbed of my intellectual property, tired of hitting the glass ceiling, and I was really frustrated with the status quo. I hope that by sharing my journey and my success, that I would influence change at a greater scale. And while I do still want to influence change for black professionals, there is a more pressing issue on our hands. And that issue is closing the wealth gap. Because of this, I rebranded my podcast to focus on doing just that. I truly believe that you are either contributing, sharing, engaging, or sitting on the sidelines. If you found yourself sitting on the sidelines, This podcast is an opportunity for you to get up off the bench and join the conversation. On this podcast, I'll give voice to all black professionals, black entrepreneurs, black parents, and black children. And together, we can share in our journey, our struggles, and our triumphs. Now let's get into the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Black Exposure. I am so excited to have my guest today. Mr. Patrick Colvin, who is the owner, CEO, and founder of HR Full Disclosure. I am not going to do him enough justice if I try to tell you all how fantastic he is. So I'll turn it over to him so he can tell you himself. Patrick? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would classify myself as an HR practitioner who really specializes in understanding an organization's strategic business goals and objectives. Uh, to then combine those with HR solutions to kind of move that company forward. So that's who I am from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. After five, as you've already mentioned, I am the CEO and founder of HR Full Disclosure, which is a job offer evaluation and negotiation service um, in which we specialize in helping minorities set themselves up for salary negotiation success through a variety of our different services. So for us, it's really... Um, helping people understand their worth, understanding that they should be advocating on their behalf and how to go about doing so. Oh, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. If you haven't already, guys, stop right here, hit pause, and go follow him on Instagram at HR Full Disclosure. I have to tell you, I've been checking his page out for quite a while before I mustered up the courage to reach out to him to ask him to be a guest on my podcast. And I am unbelievably inspired by all the amazing work he is doing and all the free advice and free game he's given out. Um, But before we get into the specifics of all of this advice, I want to ask you, Patrick, how did you get into HR work? Uh, What was it that inspired you to pursue this career? And what is it that you seek to accomplish um, through your journey? So I really got into human resources probably maybe my sophomore or junior year in college um, during undergrad. Um, It was recommended that I look into this career by a professor that I was um, attending his course at that particular time. He taught HR Management 101, and uh, I happened to do well in his class and was really engaged in his coursework. Um, And so at that particular time, I was a public relations and journalism major, if you can believe it. And um, he asked if, if, you know, HR was something that I'd be interested in. I did not have any background or any knowledge about HR. So he educated me on that. And I thought it was going to be 
a good intersection of who I am as a person, someone who's curious about business and the inner workings of an organization, but at the same time, someone who loves people and um, loves to show my own personality and have my own individual flair on the work that I do. So I thought that that would be a, a powerful combination as, as I looked into HR more and more, um, it seemed to be the right career for me. Um, very nice, very nice. So um, you mentioned something that I want to dig a little deeper in, and that is, you know, you're very passionate about people and you're passionate about helping organizations sort of accomplish their long-term objectives better. And you feel like, I guess, HR is the best way to do that. So I want to ask you, what do you see as some of the biggest areas of opportunity, specifically as it relates to people of color, as it relates to their interactions with human resources? So that's a really, really good question. And I, I really think there's a lot of differences between black and brown people and their interaction with HR and some of our white counterparts, right? Um, I think most black and brown people, um, they're very skeptical of HR due to their experiences with HR. Um, a lot of times your only interaction with human resources is during your recruiting or your onboarding process, um, during some disciplinary actions, which then lead to sometimes termination situations, right? So 90% of your interactions with HR isn't positive. Um, and I think a lot of black and brown people who have been able to navigate corporate America, they understand that um, this, this system was not set up and not designed for us. So there's a different way for us to operate. And they've identified that HR is just not really that entity within an organization in which they should be interacting with a lot. Um, I think our, our white counterparts, they probably have more frequent interaction with HR um, in terms of advocating for a raise or a promotion, a title change, or just wanting you know, more feedback or looking for more opportunities. Um, I think the greatest advice I would probably give someone about an HR department who was a little skeptical is HR can be one of the best resources that you have within that organization. A lot of times your HR person or persons, they're very well connected within the organization. They know everyone. They know the power structure. They know the influence structure. They know how you can set yourself up for success and those types of things. So really trying to improve that relationship and have more frequent contact with HR, I think would bode black and brown people much better throughout their careers. And also when you think about when there's times for promotion, there's times for raises, when managers are soliciting feedback from HR for a lot of these decisions, HR has a level of influence to be able to put your name out there or talk you up um, for a particular opportunity. So I try to tell people that HR can be more of your friend than your actual foe. Mm. I think you, um, you touched on something very interesting there because I, you know, for me as someone who spent a considerable amount of time in corporate America and I've seen peers, peers as well, who are, you know, high level, high earning executives. Um, and even they do have fears of human resources. And so I think that one of the reasons why particularly black and brown people are afraid of human resources, because, they feel like once you go there, you sort of put a target on your back as either the problem starter of the organization or yes. someone who ultimately needs to be managed out. So, you know, I want to talk to you because I wonder if you could dispel that myth, right? Because to your point, I literally, the interaction between HR is onboarding and exit interviews. 
right? Which is exactly what you just spoke on. So how do you, as a person of color who might be facing a, a legitimate human resource challenging your organization, whether it's discrimination, whether it's uh, microaggressions, racial bias, um, you know, anything, how do you approach human resources in a way that doesn't make it look like you are a problem starter, but also helps to get the result that you are looking for? Right. Well, I think I think first off, I think HR gets kind of a bad rep. Um, and I think, you know, managers, they love to push things on HR to kind of take the heat off themselves. Um, and when you think about it, it's the manager, it's senior leadership that has the primary decision making uh, ability as HR we are solicited for our feedback, for advice, and we offer recommendations only. Now, whether those recommendations get picked up and acted upon, that's a completely different story. But, you know, for the most part, HR works for the people, you know, um, that's the company's most important asset. And I like to think of us as the bridge between employees and management, right? It's our jobs to be a neutral third party, um, you know, investigating the doings or any type of violation within the organization and ensuring that the organization is fair, it's safe for everybody in that workplace, right? And so when you're talking about the myth, I hear that a lot from my friends, from colleagues, from other employees and those things in terms of, if I go to HR and I bring this up, this is going to have a black eye or stain on my career, or I'm never gonna be able to move up in this organization. And to that, I will say that yes and no, it can have a lasting impact on you, right? So if you have a legitimate concern that you're looking to get addressed or alleviated, such as uh, discrimination, harassment, um, or anything along those lines, retaliation, I would say 100% of the time, that's not gonna have an impact on you whatsoever, right? The organization has set up mechanisms for you to be able to report those things and for the organization to address those things and make sure that those things don't continuously happen throughout the organization. Now, on the other side of that, if you are coming to HR or you're coming to any entity within the organization, any department, and you're constantly complaining, and I, I reap on constantly because we have a lot of employees that do that, you're constantly complaining about managers or other leaders in the organization constantly complaining about your coworkers. Um, there's not enough oatmeal flavors in the kitchen. Your desk is not the way it should be. Um, little stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to say it's career ending, um, but it could damage and hinder some opportunities that could come your way, right? Because you can be perceived as someone who doesn't play nice in the sandbox, not really big on collaboration, and all of those other things. And ironically, those are some of the qualities in which people are looking for and are discussed when opportunities for promotions come up, larger projects, or just the opportunity to have more visibility in the organization. So I think you have to be mindful of what you bring to an HR department. Um, and and I, I ask people to use their best judgment in terms of that, right? So making sure that if it's something serious and it's a real concern, you certainly want to bring that up to your HR department or your HR business partner. But if it's just complaint after complaint after complaint, that's not going to sit well and that's not going to put you in a favorable light if and when there's an opportunity for you to do something different within the organization versus someone else who may not have that same track record. Mm. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I think you, um, 
you know, making sure that you bring up issues when they're egregious and serious is very important. But I'd also add, and I'll ask you what your opinion is on um, having documentation to support your claim, right? Certainly. Rather than just, yeah, going in, you know, and saying, oh, something happened to me. I mean, my whenever I talk to my friends who, you know, may be a part of the human resources space or diversity and inclusion spaces, they always say, listen, you have to have documentation. Don't just go to HR with things that can be just seen as wild accusations. So um, to your end, you talked about um, going to HR when there is something serious. And so one of the biggest things I see for people of color, specifically in corporate America, is salary negotiations, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're, you're going for an internal promotion, you know that you're being paid below market because you came in, I don't know, maybe you started from the ground up within your organization. And so you've just gotten the five to 7% or whatever it is. How do you go to human resources or do you go to human resources to advocate for a salary increase? And if so, uh, what strategies would you recommend? Yeah, I would say that you can go to human resources, but I would ask people to use their best judgment on your interactions with HR um, you can kind of tell which HR departments within organizations are working for you versus working against you, um, which HR people actually care about career development, actually care about advancing the people within their organization, helping them learn and reskill and those things. But first, I would I would say the first. How, how can you tell? I'm sorry to cut you off. No. But how can you tell which professionals are the ones that you can, I guess, trust and confide in? Well, HR is, is a very social constraint within an organization, right? So HR departments who are very closed off, um, I would say those are the ones who I probably wouldn't recommend someone going to them about a promotion or something like that. But if you see your HR person frequently, if they're out on the floor, if they're having lunch with you, if they're working um, within social or, you know, programmed events within the organization, if you see and feel a presence from them, I say those are the people who are more approachable um, and who you would want to kind of start to probe a little bit in terms of some of your aspirations within an organization. Oh, thank you. So what about what about what salary, um, I guess, if you're not being paid at market or you're paid below market, what do you do? Well, the, the first thing is, is working up the courage to just ask, because that's a yeah. huge hurdle for everyone, not just, you know, um, people in corporate America, men, women, just everyone in general, people just don't ask. Um, and I think not waiting into your end of the year performance or annual review to ask for those things, right? And the reason I say that is because when you get to the end of the year, when you get to that performance review time, your manager normally has... 1% of their team's total salary as a pool of money. So the, the pool is not very big, which is why you end up getting 1%, 2%, possibly a 3% increase every single year, right? So I tell people, make sure that you are asking, but you're also understanding the timing as well, right? So coming off a successful project, or it could be seasonal, right? In my experience, you have the best chance of getting a raise or a promotion in Q1 or Q2, right? At the beginning of the year, budgets are being set. Um, revenue goals are being set. Everyone is excited and they're feeling optimistic about hitting those goals, right? So at the beginning of the year, you can get a lot more things through versus in Q3, you start realizing, well, we're not going to hit that revenue target. In Q4, we're squeezed so tight. We're not even hiring right now. 
and those types of things, right? So you have to make sure that the timing of themes, whether it's coming off a successful project in which you had an impact on, right? But also the time of the year and the seasonality of your organization, right? So I think that's big. After that, I would say you need to quantify your accomplishments, right? What did you do? How did you do it? Who did you do it with? What was the impact that those things had on the organization's success? If you can tie anything that you did directly to revenue or operations in terms of um, efficiency or making a process more effective, that's going to bode well for your chances of getting that promotion or, or, or getting that increase. Um I think also you have to understand that um, promotions and when you're advocating for a promotion or for a race, it's for future performance, not what you're doing right now, not what you did in the past. So as you go about quantifying your accomplishments, you need to be able to showcase and articulate what are you going to do for the organization going forward? How are you going to be mm. of an asset and a benefit for that organization going forward? Because quarter by quarter, the organization is going to change. Their objectives, their development goals, all of those things are going to change. How can you continuously add value to them as they go forward, right? And then the final thing I tell people in terms of promotions, negotiations, raises, have a power map, right? Who makes the decision on those things? Because a lot of times, your manager does not have the power to grant you that request. Most of the time, and they're not going to tell you that they don't have the juice exactly. either. <laughs> they're not going to tell you that. So most of the time, it may be your boss's boss that can make that decision, right? So you need to know from an authority perspective who can make that decision and make this request happen for you. But also on the flip side of that, you need to know who has influence on that decision at well, because there's a difference between someone who is the decision maker that can sign off on that form, but someone who is a key influencer within the organization that works heavily with you or your department and can speak to your accomplishments in a closed door room, right? Mm. Those things are influential because those people can help continuously put you in a good light and big you up so that when an opportunity presents itself, you have the best chance of being. That was amazing advice. Amazing advice. I think you're you you are spot on and hit the nail on the head because I think that's one of the biggest um not not really challenges, I would say areas of opportunity is being able to fully document what it is you've done to the organization and tie it back to revenue generating activities. Yes. I think that is like that is amazing, amazing advice. And I want everybody to write that down because it is a gem. <laughs> um so you talked a lot about what do you do if you're already with the organization. So now I want to pivot and talk about those who are coming into an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about how you, you know, present your resume to an organization through um, like an HR screening software? Do you feel like it fairly picks the best candidates for, for a job? And if it doesn't, what are some things you could do to make your resume stand out? Um, and, and really give yourself more leverage when it comes to salary negotiating? Right. That's a really good question. And a lot of people struggle with that. And I tell people when you're talking about an ATS system, when you're talking about that first level of entry into an organization or into a recruiter's hands, it's all about keywords at that particular point. So candidates should really focus on the job description, 
reading the job description, understanding the job description, what the company is asking for, what this position is going to do, how is it sit, how is it sitting in the hierarchy of the organization, and really tailor their resume to reflect their experience as it reads through that job description. That's going to give you the ultimate success because that's going to be able to be picked up by the systems get to the recruiter so the recruiter can have an opportunity to take a glance at your resume to make sure that everything lines up prior to being able to extend, you know, a preliminary call to you or send you an email that's saying, hey, as an organization, we're interested in your resume. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying your resume shouldn't be one size fit all, that you should actually take the time to maybe tweak or tailor some things in your resume before submitting to a particular job. 100%. 100%. You can tell um, whether it's a resume, especially within a cover letter, you can tell the cookie cutter templates that people get from Google or the ones that people just use as, to your point, a one size fits all. They do a mass email blast where they just apply to every single job. And we end up getting a cover letter that's not even addressed to us, the right department or the right company, right? So the details matter. Wow. Wow. Have you, uh, so you, you think, oh, I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. So yes. So having a cover letter, is that still a thing? I thought cover letters were a thing of the past. They are, um, they're still around. Mm -hmm. I would say they are a thing of the past, but I would say that utilize the proper way. They are a way for you to set yourself apart from another candidate, right? Because mm -hmm. cover letters, to your point, they're not required on most job applications anymore. It's normally something that you can add in addition to any other documentation or portfolio or any other thing that you want the, the hiring company to see of you to be able to select you for an opportunity to get in front of them. So I would say you use every tool that's in your disposal, uh, especially now, because when you're looking at the, the external market before the oh COVID God, pandemic. 13 million unemployed. So yes, competitive. it was competitive before the pandemic. And now you have yeah. an additional 20, 30 people who of no fault of their own are, are vying for the same opportunities that you are. So how are you setting yourself apart? And I would say that cover letter, when it says optional and you can write something in there or pay, I would say you take the 10, 15 minutes to really do that, right? Show that you're passionate about this role, that this role aligns with your skill set. It aligns with where you are in your career and throw something in there about the company that you learned on the course of researching that company, whether it be from their website, some awards they won or anything similar. Yeah, I, I love that advice, especially with how, how competitive it's getting in. One of the things I tell, you know, everybody that I talk to is I'm, I'm really I'm a big, big, big fan of LinkedIn, particularly because I think, you know, most recruiters, most human resources professionals are absolutely going to Google you when they think about bringing you in for a candidate yes. interview. And I think a lot of people drop the ball because they sort of neglect um, LinkedIn as an opportunity for them. So it's been a huge focus of mine because I. I you know, I specialize in revamping people's LinkedIn profiles. And that's one of the things that I always try to tell you is don't underestimate Google, man. Like no. you can literally lose a job opportunity because they can't see your LinkedIn profile and they don't know who you're connected to. They don't know what your interests are. They don't know if people have endorsed you for specific 100%. skills. So like, yeah, you agree, right? Like that's a thing. Yes, it, it is a thing. And you have to think of in this day and age, LinkedIn is, is what a business card was 20 years ago. 
right? It is, it is your first introduction to someone. And so when I'm looking for candidates and I'm sourcing and I'm trying to find some preliminary information about this candidate before I bring them in or before I reach out to them, yes, I want to see that LinkedIn profile. I want it to be comprehensive. I want it to be robust. I want to be able to get a snapshot of what you did, where you do it at, what are you passionate about in terms of this industry, who you're connected with, right? I want to see all of those things. And LinkedIn is a great opportunity for people to differentiate themselves from each other um, and stand out, right? As someone who's not only passionate about the industry, someone who's accomplished in their work, who has a particular skill set or talent, or just someone who is very connected with what's going on, right? Head on the swivel. So utilize the fact that you have the ability to, to post, to comment, to um, write articles on your own, to, to attach brand, articles. Right? Yes, yeah. all of those different things. These are ways that that you stand out and that you give yourself the best opportunity to get that call back. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, where were you exactly when you decided to create HR full disclosure? Wow, that's a really physically and mentally, because <laughs> that's both that both are important. Physically, <laughs> I was at work. Um, I had been playing around with the idea for probably 18 months at that particular time. So I had helped out friends and friends of friends in terms of, hey, I work on the other side of the table. This is how you should present yourself. These are some things that you can negotiate. This is why I think you can get this. You know, that salary is below market. You should target this. So I was already working with a number of people, helping them kind of change their economic stars, if you will, in terms of how they viewed job offers and how to get more. Right. And I think I was sitting in my office and we had a job offer that we were extended to someone. We extended the job offer to this person. I believe it was maybe around like 65K we extended to them. But we had built in the budget all the way up to 80K because what people don't understand is we anticipate people coming back to the negotiation table. We actually want you to do that. Because that is confirmation to us that we made the right decision in hiring you, that we see your value, and most importantly, you see your value. And so by having that 15K cushion, this employee, and it happened to be a minority at that particular time, they didn't push back. They didn't ask for anything additional, not salary, not PTO, not education, professional development, nothing. Just took the offer as is. And for me, that was kind of the last straw because I had seen that so many times and I just wanted to be able to be in a position to educate people on what they could be getting, what they're leaving on the table and what the impact of that is, right? So when you think about something so small as a $5,000 increase in your salary, right? Yes, it's $5,000 when you do the taxes and you divvy that down. That's probably one additional Starbucks coffee every two weeks, right? But when you think about your next opportunity is most of the time predicated off of the amount of money you make right now. And then every time you make more money, that's more money that goes to your 401k that your employer matches. That's more money that, that, that goes into your variable compensation, right? In terms of bonuses or commissions and those things. So- from the beginning of your career over the course of 30, 40 years, by not negotiating, you can end up losing out on a million, a million five in total compensation. Yeah. Like the numbers are really staggering for that. 
And when you ask eight out of 10 recruiters, they will say, not only do I expect somebody to negotiate, but if an employee comes back to us and negotiate in a professional way and they're able to articulate their value to us, they always come out on top. It's expensive yeah. to hire people and go through this process to only get at the end and say, okay, this is my candidate that I'm choosing and then lose that candidate for $5,000, $10,000. No organization is going to do that. Yeah, absolutely not. I wanted to share a little story. When I was uh, earlier in my career, I was working um, in, you know, a for a financial services firm and I was able to double my salary as an internal candidate mm -hmm. for a role. And the reason how I did it was using all the gems you just dropped. Number one, I understood my value. Number two, I didn't go to the interview as if I was an internal hire and I kind of had it in the bag. I spent a lot of time developing a business plan for what I was going to do when I had the job. Yeah. Keyword back to what you said earlier, which is talk about your future performance because that's what promotion's all cool. about. And then I had like market data, like this is what the market is paying for this role. And even though I'm an internal candidate, like I'm not so desperate to take this job that I'm going to do it for less than what my peers are. Exactly. Um, and so and when I put together that well thought out case, I doubled my salary from with one promotion. Um, and I think you just literally beautifully laid out one of the biggest things that people are afraid to do because I've seen, seen people in similar situations say, oh, it's just an internal job. I'm only going to get 5% anyway. No big deal. I'm just going to go to the interview. And they lose out on huge opportunities because they don't treat it like they're an external candidate, which which I think I think you should. Yeah, what do you think? absolutely. I think, I think you really should. And I think people put too much stock in the fact that, you know, I'm going to just put my head down. I'm going to work hard. And the organization is going to see my value and reward me for that value. You're putting all of your eggs in, in, in the basket there. And companies have time and time again have proven not to be able to recognize you for the, what you bring to the table and your contributions and your overall value, right? So you need to be having that business mindset the entire way in terms of what I'm bringing to the table. I know my worth and I'm not going to settle for anything less than what I'm worth. Yeah, I hear you. So, so I... I you know, talking about your, your firm, uh, you were at work when you decided to do it and you gave the reason for why, you know, the messaging behind mm -hmm. your business. What are some of the, the lessons or challenges or areas of opportunity you've identified for yourself as an entrepreneur um, and building a business? Because it's not easy. Like I just read a quote earlier today where someone put, it's easy to start a business. It's very hard to, to build one and run it. <laughs> So what do you think? About I think that? that's a very true statement. It is not easy, but it is certainly rewarding. And I kind of look at this from a long term perspective. Right. I didn't get into this to be an overnight success and to be rich tomorrow. Right. I got into this for the servitude, for being able to help people um, change their economic outlook, help them gain control, help them understand how valuable they are. And I think for me. One of the biggest things I kind of preach to people is you need to start seeing yourself as the opportunity to these companies versus looking at these companies for an opportunity all the time. Right. I mean, insert clap you know, here. That, insert that clap is something here. so important <laughs> to me. And over the course of my entrepreneurial journey, which has not been that long because I launched this business in March. 
So right before the COVID mm. pandemic, that's when I launched and decided to bring this to the world. Um, I, I think the only thing I probably would have changed or done differently, I maybe would have looked into having a partner to kind of help me build the business and bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, but just some of the lessons that I, I've, I've learned is that it's, it's, it's going to be a long road. Um, and so you can't expect things to just happen the way that, that you envision them to happen. Um, there needs to be a lot of change that's going to be happening and you need to be okay with that. When I first launched this business, I had seven services. I now have four, right? So you're going to go wow. through transformation of your business. You're going to figure out who's my target audience. Is this service a need versus a want, right? Getting some market data to support those things. And I think you need to be agile and flexible in terms of your business. Um, and finally, I think just the fact that I am able to help someone else when I feel like I've been in a privileged position for the most of my career. I've had great managers. I've had great mentors. I've had people who have sponsored me and recognized my talent and organizations, given me the opportunity to um, flourish. And by being on both sides of the table, someone who's negotiated his own you know, offer letters and, and contracts and someone who helps others, um, I feel like I have a treasure trove of information that just the the public just does not have. And so for me, it's about providing that knowledge and that information and being that access to someone else, because as black and brown people, that is what stops us a lot of times. We just don't have access. If we knew better, we would do better. We right? do better. You ain't never lied. Um, so, so, you know, from listening to you, it sounds like what you actually teach, Patrick, is confidence and mindset. And it's, you, you teach, you know, disguised as like HR building, but a lot of the things that you're saying to me and what I hope my audience is really taking from this conversation is that it kind of all starts with us. It starts with us being knowledgeable, changing the way we think about our value to organizations. You hit the nail on the head when you said, like, you're not doing me a favor. I'm Correct. doing you a favor. And if you show up, not in an arrogant way, but you show up confidently and you're willing to stand on the value you bring to an organization, you can really accomplish anything. And I think if you're not getting what you want from the organization that you're working for, don't be afraid to leave. It's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, we, we just, we are parting ways here. Um, but don't back down and don't accept less than what you deserve. Um, you mentioned that you started your organization off offering seven services, but you since narrowed it down to four. I want to ask you, what are those four services you provide um, and how can people locate your So business? the first service that we provide is a job offer evaluation and negotiation service. So basically what that is, is you've done the heavy lifting, you've gone through the interview process, you've wowed them, they now extended you an offer. You reach out to me. I go through the offer letter to make sure that everything that's supposed to be in there is in there and everything that's not supposed to be in there does not get in there. Right. In terms of arbitration agreements, non-disclosures, restricted covenants, stuff that would if you left that organization, it would hinder your future employment. Right. So we look at all of those things and then I go through your offer letter based off of your level, um, your industry and your title and how that sits in that organization to tell you these are, let's say, the top three to five things in which I would recommend that you negotiate. And here is a script that you can use 
to actually go back to the table and negotiate those things, right? So in some some cases, it may be, look, I think you can get seven to $8,000 more in your base salary here. This is how I would position it. In other cases, I would say, well, I wouldn't focus on the base salary because they came in at market value and that's probably where their budget constraints are. But you can get an additional two weeks of PTO, which is the same as a two-week paycheck, right? You're not working and you're being paid for it. You can get tuition um, reimbursement. You can get professional development to go to a conference and learn. You can ask them to pay for a certification or those types of things. Um, you can help. You can ask them about commutation reimbursement, right, for your travel to and from the office. So there's a lot of different things that you can mix in there. Um, I actually just had a client recently, and one of the things that we were able to negotiate for her was a severance. So in this particular climate, you're taking risks leaving one to another. So if it doesn't work out for any fault outside of my own, because budgets can change, we don't know how long we're going to be in this pandemic. How can I, you help me transition financially to my next opportunity, right? So that was something that we helped her negotiate. So that's one service. The other two services are pretty similar. They are salary negotiation coaching. So we work with people either on individual consults, or we work with you from the beginning of your job search process all the way through, because it's not just so much about negotiating that job offer when you get it, but the negotiation process starts the minute that they reach out to you, right? So I tell people your credentials, your skill set, your, your experience, that's going to get your foot in the door, but impression management is what's going to get you that offer. So going in there and being able to show yourself right? Show that you have the passion for the role, show that you have the skill set, asking the right questions. Those are going to be the things that are going to loosen up that wallet so that, you know, that increases the chance of them giving you a fair offer. And then what we do is once they extend that offer, we help you figure out, okay, they like you, but how much do they like you, right? So those are the, those are the two services in terms of salary negotiation coaching we do. And um, the fourth service we offer is kind of a, a job search jumpstart service, if you will. So what we do is we connect people with recruiters um, so that you can ask any and every question that you want. So if you're looking to make a move from one company to another company, it would be nice to know what salary range should I be targeting? What are the most in-demand skill sets that companies are looking for certifications? What are some of the the uh, landmines that job seekers are stepping into and how can I avoid that, right? How can I present myself well? Because these are all recruiters at top companies who are the gatekeepers. We can tell you exactly what you need to do, how you need to do it, how you present yourself, what salary to target so that you don't lowball yourself or you don't overshoot yourself and not get that call back, right? So we do a 45 minute consultation with folks to kind of walk through those things and answer any of the questions that they have. So it's really an opportunity for a job seeker to kind of get pulled behind the curtain, see all the inner workings and really utilize all that information, the access and insights that they get from that conversation with the recruiter um, to then stand out and increase their chances of not only getting a job, but getting a job sooner. Mm, I love it. So tell me about your biggest success story so far. I know it's, it's only been a little less than you, maybe nine right. months, 10 months or so. Um, what do you define as your biggest success story throughout your journey? My, so big, far? my biggest success story um, 
monetarily, it wasn't a lot of money, right? So we increased her offer by maybe five, $6,000. So monetarily, it wasn't a lot. It was maybe, you know, 10% um, increase we were able to get her, but it was really working with her throughout the process to change her mindset. Um, she came from a Caribbean um, background and Caribbean descent. And she made it very clear when she reached out to me that it was part of her culture that you just don't negotiate, that you just work hard, you put your head down and all of those different things. And so working with her to kind of mold her and, and kind of massage her a little bit to kind of help her start to think differently um, about the opportunity because salary negotiation and, and job offers are very similar to a lot of other things in life, right? So let's take sports for mm -hmm. instance. Whatever LeBron James makes every single year, that's not his worth. They pay him millions and, and tens of millions of dollars, but he's probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the owner, to the city, and to everything around that. It's the same thing with you as an employee. They're going to pay you $50,000, but what you're going to make them is $150,000. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay you that money, right? So understanding that and, and kind of working with her and getting her confident and comfortable, I think that was probably the biggest success that I've had more than any other monetary increase that we did for anyone else, because that mindset is going to stay with her throughout her career. This was her first job opportunity. So that ensures that over the course of her career, she's not going to leave anything on the table. She's going to know how to advocate for herself. She's going to know her worth. She's going to know how to research. She's going to know how to present herself in the most favorable light to continuously get paid what she's worth. Oh, absolutely. I think you have a third call in Patrick and that's mindset, mindset shifting and, <laughs> and life coaching. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of, you know, it's very inspirational what you do and what your firm seeks to accomplish. I'm, I'm so, so, so happy that you gave me this time today um, because I'm feeling, I'm even feeling reinvigorated. And I'm being paid. So, so, so if you get, if you got me all hyped up now, I'm like, let me go brush up my resume. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I wanted to also ask you before we wrap here, because I know we're coming up on time. Um, if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice. So you're talking to 10 year old Patrick and you know, you know what you know now. What would you tell your 10 year old self about the journey that you are embarking on, about your future, about your goals? Um, and also, do not forget to tell everybody how to find you. If I could go back, I would tell myself to continuously seek knowledge, seek information, um, leverage contacts, take every single opportunity and interaction that I have with someone as an opportunity to not only make an impression, but to walk away with a nugget, right? Because you never know who you're going to meet, how they're connected, and what that does for your life or your career and your trajectory, right? And so I try to treat every interaction that way. Um, so I would give myself that advice. And I would also tell myself that it's not going to be easy and opportunities aren't going to come as frequent for me as they would come for someone else. So by continuously seeking knowledge and information and being a student of learning, I will always be ready. I'll never have to get ready. And that's probably what I would tell mm. my 10 year old self. Mm. Always be ready. So you never have to get ready. I had to say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> um, 
but so, so you, you can um, contact me on Instagram at HR Full Disclosure. You can reach out to us on our website, which is www.hrfulldisclosure.com. You can set up a free 15 minute discovery call with me to talk about any of our services, anything that that is dealing with salary negotiation, job offer negotiation, any of those things. Happy to just give you some free advice and some free insights and game that can set you up. Um, for me, it's not just about the business and 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 the financial aspects of the business. It's really about educating a culture. So anytime that I can help someone change their mindset or give them some confidence or just give them some insights into something else that they did not know, um, that's really rewarding for me. So people can can feel free to, to book those calls and um, you know we can talk about anything underneath the sun. I love it. And if I can give him one last plug, guys, I follow him on Instagram. I'm always checking his page out. I even checked out his LinkedIn profile. He gives tons and tons and tons of advice that you would probably be paying someone tens of thousands of dollars to give you. So please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to him. Um, if you find yourself amidst a salary negotiation, use the, use the resources that are at your disposal. Um, and with that said, I will go ahead and end the conversation. Thank you again, Patrick, for your time today. I hope no, you thank you so much. Day. I hope you do as well. Bye. All right. Bye, guys.